1: celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly, and our good friend, Ryan Daly, is back. Hi, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, (laughs) Thank you very much for being here. As I said, this is our big 50th episode, an anniversary episode.
0: Woo! Bob
1: Dylan. I never (laughs) thought we would get this far, really, when I started it, because I was like, I'll do an episode every so often. I figure 50, that'll be 10 years from now, and now we're... (laughs) (laughs) We're <laughs> like less than a year in, we're already up to number 50. So I thought it would be fun to do something a little different for an anniversary episode. And once I noticed that September 30th, uh, 2017, is the 20th anniversary of Bob Dylan's 1997 album, Time Out of Mind, I was just too good to pass up. The 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 convergence of the 50th <laughs> episode and the 20th anniversary was too good to pass up. So we are going to talk about this entire album. Uh, we This... Covering this album does not preclude us from doing individual song episodes later on. And in fact, Ryan and I have already done uh, Not Dark Yet on a previous episode. So uh, don't worry. We're not going you know, to skip over any songs down the line. But I thought it would be fun just to talk about an album as a whole. Uh, because, again, it was a big deal. It's the 20th anniversary of this album. And so a little bit of context. Bob Dylan had not released an album of original songs since 1990. And that was Under the Red Sky, which was not an album that uh, critics particularly liked, nor audiences, although I like it. Of course I do. And uh, he had released two albums of covers, acoustic folk covers, Good As I've Been to You and World Gone Wrong. Two albums that I think are absolutely superb, but uh, they were not exactly what people wanted because you know this is like the greatest living songwriter out there, and here he is recording Froggy Went A Courtin'. So people are like, "What the hell is this?" You know. <laughs> you know? And then he had done uh, an MTV Unplugged album and a greatest hits compilation, which featured a- an unreleased song from the O oh Mercy album called uh, "Dignity," which is which is terrific. But it, there was no new album for many many years. In fact, the longest. Gap between any albums uh, of his career. And people were really kind of wondering, you know, was this over? Was he done? You know, like, that's it. He's not going to release He's He's recording old folk songs. Maybe this is it for him. And I had started getting into Dylan around that time, around 89, 90, so, you know, I wasn't used to this sort of large gap, and I was wondering that, too. Well, maybe, maybe this is it. And you know what? If he just keeps releasing acoustic folk cover albums, I'm fine with that because I think these are really good. But then out of nowhere came news that uh, while he was holed up in his Minnesota farm, I guess during a snowstorm, he decided uh, to write some new songs. And, in fact, the, 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 as the story goes, he called his manager and said, well, I'm writing songs. <laughs> and he had to tell the manager that, which is, you know, anytime Bob Dylan starts writing songs, there's, I guess, a, a certain amount of dollar value attached to that effort. So uh, I'm sure that got Sony Music very excited. And he decided to re with Daniel Lenoir, the producer from Oh Mercy, which was the last album that he had done that was really well-received. And uh, then this album got released September 30th, 1997, Time Out of Mind. I took, I don't know if I took the day off or I had the day off from work, but I went to a record store back when they had those. And I bought the album, brought it home immediately, and put it on and listened to it several times in a row. This was not an album that sounded like anything I expected. Uh, it's a very heavily produced album. Uh, it, Bob Dylan's vo- vocals in a lot of songs is, is put through like kind of some sound effects. There's a lot of echo going on here. It's very it's a very atypically produced Bob Dylan album. Uh, but uh, you know, but we'll get we'll get to all that shortly. But Ryan, like, what's your history with this? Why did you want to talk about this album in particular?
2: Uh, I mentioned a little bit of this when we talked about "Not Dark Yet" uh, way back on my first appearance on the show, uh, Which and is your it has a Dylan lot. Song, right? Yeah, it is, right. um, and and it has a lot to do with this album really being. Right. I, I, I'm hesitant to say this was my gateway to Dylan, but it sort of was because it was the first real album that I listened to start to finish, with the intention of really kind of scrutinizing and studying it. Uh, And it had a lot to do with, um, as we talked about last time, was I thought that Radiohead got ripped off by the (laughs) Grand Awards that year. I thought, okay, computer... Deserve to be the best album And I assumed that they gave it to Bob Dylan Just because of name recognition He's the old standard Who I'd heard of and I'd heard tons of songs But never really given that much Thought or much credence and then You know my dad was just kind of like well Maybe you should actually listen to Time Out of Mind because it's it might not Be what you think it is
1: No way dad
2: (laughs) Exactly (laughs) I don't believe in nothing anymore Um (laughs) so yeah so i i played it and as we'll get go through the songs like right from the first song lovesick i was like this doesn't sound like blowing in the wind or subterranean homesick blues I was like what what is this um and and yeah and it that led me we had that city we and um then the mtv unplugged one that you mentioned uh were sort of the first albums that i was really getting into and I, I still think this might be the the Dylan album that I have listened to from start to finish more than any others. Um, it might be my favorite Dylan album. it's certainly in the top five um, but yeah it's just it was it was sort of what made me a Dylan fan more than anything else so yeah
0: interesting
1: okay yeah uh, th- this is I mean this is a, a song cycle uh, of you know. Bob dealing with, like, a love affair that's seemingly gone wrong. Of course, he's covered that material, that that particular subject matter, many times before. But uh, people weren't expecting this, you know? They just weren't expecting this kind of heavy, dark... It's not that Dylan was ever, you know, laughs, but uh, this this is a particularly sort of midnighty, subterranean kind of album. And it opens... Uh, the first song is called love Sick," and it opens with this heavy organ sound, this sort of stop-start arrangement where... Bob is just talking about how he's lovesick. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it just it's it's a fairly I don't want to call it a simple song because that's an insult. But it's lyrically it's I'm walking through streets that are dead, walking, walking with you in my head. My feet are so tired. My brain is so wired and the clouds are weeping Did I hear someone tell a lie. Did I hear someone's distant cry? I spoke like a child. You destroyed me with a smile while I was sleeping. I'm sick of love, but I'm in the thick of it. This kind of love. I'm so sick of it. And it's it's a it's a more plain spoken Bob Dylan than we were used to. I mean, the last, mm-hmm. again, the last original album was Under the Red Sky. That still featured a lot of crazy uh, wordplay, and this was much more straightforward. Uh, so this song is it's an interesting way to start the album because it's incredibly stark.
2: Yeah, it is, and and for as much production on the album, like this one is sort of deceptive because it does have those like organ notes, and it's not like a rhythm or a melody. It's just this recurring, almost percussive type of tap of the organ um, that just kind of builds you and kind of b- drives you along. And and there's a really sparse guitar that just plays like again like a, a note or a key like twice. It, it like never goes on a riff or anything, and it just comes in during the during the um, the chorus. But I really really like this song, and it goes to a lot of what I like about whenever Daniel Lenoir collaborated with Dylan is I think he created this. And you've talked about this before when you uh, mentioned some of his other songs, like the kind of swampy atmosphere. There's this, this song feels kind of Southern Gothic to me. And if like, listening to it again in preparation for this episode, I was like, you know what? This, this song could have been at the end of an episode of true detective. Like it would have, (laughs) it would have fit in with that kind of atmosphere. Um, and I, I just really like that. So, yeah, I, I, I do like the song. As simple as it is, it's one of my favorite songs on the album.
1: Interesting. Yeah, it's Dylan is not a fan of heavy production. He is mm-hmm. always one... Uh, I think he literally once was quoted as saying his motto was get in, cut it, and get the fuck out. That was literally what he had said. So uh, I've never heard Bob Dylan use the F word. I would have liked to have heard that directly. Uh, but, but yeah, the sound is, is very, very particular, and so we're not used to this. And it's and the way Bob is in the mix, you know, like it's all, as you mentioned, it's got this heavy organ vamp sound. But it's Dylan is, like, right up close, you know, in your ear, just sort of mm-hmm. just leaning into you. And then, of course, it ends with this whole, you know, he spends the whole song saying, uh, you know, uh, I'm sick of love. I don't want to deal with it. And then it ends with I would do anything to be with you. And it's, <laughs> you know, the classic inverted of, you know, this guy doesn't mean anything that he's saying. He's willing to toss it all if he can be with this particular person. So, you know, we're already starting off on kind of a real dark note. Uh, we're only going to get darker. But
2: <laughs> well, before we even get to the next song, the weirdest thing about this song, do you know the commercial that this was in, featured in?
1: I should, what is it? I forget. What, what
2: it was that? like a Victoria's Secret oh, lingerie right. commercial. Yes. Yeah. This, that this Bob Dylan song of all things. I, was, I remember watching that. Like, this is a this is a marriage I never expected.
1: Bob Dylan pitch man. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> very, very, friend. very strange. Yeah, uh, it's. Yeah, I don't know why. Yeah, lovesick. Well, the Okay. <laughs> all right. Whatever, Bob. Uh, Bob has performed this song. In, kind of, in fact. There is only one song and we'll get to it that Bob has never performed a concert for this album. So this is certainly an album that, that that he returns to a lot. And then that next song, in fact, is Dirt Road Blues, uh, which is this much more bluesy, honky tonk kind of thing. It's much more upbeat, it's a lot faster, and it's got Bob even more kind of on a reverb sort of sound mm-hmm. to it. And I like this one a lot. It's it's it doesn't sound uh, I hate to use the term. Like it's not again, it's not one that's terribly ambitious. It seems very, very it's a simple blues song. I'm going to walk down that dirt road till someone lets me ride. Uh, I can't find, if I can't find my baby, I'm going to run away and hide. It's just a real straight-ahead kind of blues song. I really dig it. And unfortunately, Bob has never played it in concert. This is the only song off the album that's never been done live.
2: Huh. Wow. Yeah, uh, I I like it. It's not one of my favorite. And I, this sort of sets the pattern that we'll see with the next song. Is, I think there's a... There's an even odd kind of weird symmetry with this album where I think all of the even numbers starting with this one sound very similar. Um Start they're they're series. Yeah, yeah. Um they're much more a little bit more up tempo, a little bit more I think guitar heavy, certainly with the blues guitar sound. Uh and it really starts with this one. And then the third song starts on new track, where I think songs three, five, and seven all sound very similar. Um but yeah. Yeah. I like this one. I don't have much else to say about it. It's a, it's a cool blues song. I, it doesn't, it doesn't strike me as a great Bob Dylan song. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, I mean, it, it just being a good song on its own should be enough because of how great Bob Dylan is. Like it's, it's how it, like, you know, something can still be a great song, but
1: yeah. I love the, I love the guitar jangle of this. I love that mm-hmm. sound, you know, uh, he was working with his his road band plus a bunch of other musicians. And this was apparently a fairly big group. And, uh, you know, in uh, Bob Dylan's Chronicles book, he talks about working with Lanois. Bob does not sound easy to work with. He really <laughs> does. And he sounds like somebody that expects you to sort of intuitively know what he wants. But, of course, he's Bob Dylan. I'm supposed to get that? But, but yeah, this is kind of a fun you – know, you know, I would think if you listen to the first two songs and you're just – you know, you're not familiar with what's the, the, the rest of it. You're just hearing it, at you know, for the first time. It, to me, this doesn't sound terribly ambitious, for, mm-hmm. at least for Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. On a Bob Dylan scale, let's put it that way. I think for anybody else, this would be hugely ambitious. Mm-hmm. For a Dylan album, it sounds like okay. This is Dylan kind of digging down, and it's got a nice funky groove. And then I think the next song, which is "Standing in the Doorway," the album, in my at least in my mind, really starts to take off. It opens. Mm-hmm. It opens with a, uh, a guitar part, which is uh, I think cribbed from uh, "Fools Rush In." Uh, Can't Help Falling in Love by Elvis. And this is a much sort of bigger song. It has like this whole universe of things going on. I love the sound that he gets in here. This feels like this is you wandering into some cheap juke joint and there's a guy <laughs> at 3 in the morning. And there's a guy on stage nobody's listening to anymore. And he's playing this song. He says, I'm walking through the summer nights, jukebox playing low. Yesterday everything was going too fast. Today it's moving too slow. I got no place left to turn. I got nothing left to burn. Don't know if I saw you, if I would kiss you or kill you. It probably wouldn't matter to you anyhow. You left me standing in the doorway crying. I got nothing to go back to now. I love the crap out of this song. This is, me too. There's so much going on here. I just dig it. And to me, this is where the album really is going, whoa, he's got way more going on than I would have expected.
2: This is my second favorite song on the album uh and it is my it this was really the first time where I really took note cuz you know I, putting myself back as a as a teenager listening to this album the first song kind of I kind of like bolted I was like this is Bob Dylan. This doesn't sound like what I'm, what I imagine it would be. And the second song, I was like, okay, this is, this is a blues song, but this doesn't, this isn't the you know folk artist from you know Woodstock in the '60s that I was thinking. This was the first song when I was like, wow, this is really beautiful. Yeah, it's like this is a really good song. Um, and it's just it's quiet. It's been like I mean you 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 set the you you painted the picture like perfectly. Just like walking into some like towny bar or something, mm-hmm. and just like one guy on stage or whatever, and you know looking at just somebody through cigarette smoke at the other side of the bar, and it's just had a had a rough time of it. And there's just oh, it's such a pretty pretty song. Yeah, I love it.
0: Yeah, it's
1: it's fantastic, and this is the first song of this cycle that introduces the the notion of the triad. Dylan loves singing songs to women. <laughs> that uh, he's singing to a woman, talking about another woman. He loves that. He loves that kind of stuff, and he talks about in this uh, lyrically. He says, uh, "Last night I danced with a stranger, but she just reminded me you were the one."
3: You left me standing
1: in the doorway, crying in the dark land of the sun. So once again, he's with someone he doesn't really want to be with, while he's thinking of somebody else, and he's been doing that since the '60s. You know, with the divisions of Johanna. You know, and he loves that kind of a Brownsville girl. He's, he's, which we just covered on the previous episode. So he's, he's big on this kind of stuff. And then, uh, in the next verse, he has this this great series of lines: "I'll eat when I'm hungry, and drink when I'm dry, and live my life on the square." He repeats these motifs throughout the song. There, there's another song later on where he sings something very similar of keeping sort of a simple life. And this is... I th- When the first couple reviews I read of this album, which were mo- mostly very, very positive, there were some people that said, well, he seems to be just kind of saying the same thing over and over again. And yeah, he is, but I think that's on purpose, clearly. He's trying to get to some sort of almost like um, universal... Like what's the word I'm thinking of? Like some sort of like cohesive idea that all these songs are of a piece. I mean, it's an album, of course. He's thinking mm-hmm. that way, but it's 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 almost like that they are all uh, pieces of a frame, building a you know, putting up a building. They're all meant to achieve some sort of greater whole, and that's why he's okay with using some lines kind of similar from song to song. And it seems to be what he's getting. at.
2: Yeah, and I would almost, and this goes to one of my thing where, and we'll come back. As I was saying, like a lot of the odd numbered songs, like three, five, and seven, remind me of each other, and some of the bluesier, like even numbered songs, um, are uh, also kind of like feel that it sort of seems like I would almost call this like as much as like this is an album. It feels like it's a soundtrack for some sort of narrative in that there there's some kind of like score going on and he has these familiar refrains that he keeps coming back to whether they're musical or melodic or whether they're uh lyrical as you're describing and it seems like these okay this is this theme that he's going to keep touching upon a couple of times throughout this whole production which is the album itself uh and it's sort of like this way the way a theme comes back whenever you see a certain character in a film so yeah and
1: then, again, that is something that was unusual for him to be doing. This was kind mm. of a different way of writing songs. And, it, it you know, the kind of thing where he had a bunch of years off or he wasn't writing songs. And so he probably had time to sort of rethink this, rethink this approach. And I think it fits all the material. There's something very wonderfully direct about it. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's it, there is there is not, uh, you know, the one-eyed undertaker or motorcycle black <laughs> Madonna. Like, he's, he's not that there's anything wrong with that stuff, but he's putting that stuff aside to sing things much simpler. And, you know, a lot of people that don't like Bob Dylan are kind of mediocre on him. They kind of give him that backhanded compliment of, well, he's a great songwriter, you know, he can't sing, but he's a great songwriter. Mm -hmm. And this album strips all that away because it reduces things down to very simple language. And it makes you confront the voice because, you know, he's saying very simple lines. I'm standing in the doorway, you know, you, you left me crying. Well, that's by itself. That's not terribly clever. So it's you have to deal with the fact that the way he's composing the song and it's the voice that's that's putting it across. It's not he's not trying to impress you with his linguistic, uh, you know, loop de loops. It's more just straightforward. It's the guy up there. But yeah, I this this was really the first one when I was re-listening to this album uh, all the way through uh, in anticipation of this recording. This was I was like, oh my god, I forgot how great this song is. <laughs> this is
2: so, so well done. Alexander, yeah, it's it's almost like he's not. He's not singing in code on this album. Uh, he, you know, he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to disguise things with the Joker and the thief or the Jack of Hearts or anything. Right, yeah. There's a there's a kind of nakedness about the lyrics on this album um, that could be, yeah, just where he was his headspace, or the fact that he was coming at this afresh from however however long he'd been away from like real sort of genuine songwriting yeah. in a sense. Yeah.
1: Uh, The next song is Million Miles, and again, this one seems, this has got some some great, again, more great organ playing on this. And this is more like a bluesy number in the middle of the night kind of thing. But this is, is, to me, the beginning of where Dylan the Jokester returns a little, because there's some lines in here that are goofy. Uh, yeah. And it makes you think, well, wait a minute, maybe this is not quite all so serious, as you might imagine. I mean, the refrain is, you know, he says, I need your love so bad turn your lamp down low. I need every bit of it for the places that I go. Sometimes I wonder just what it's all coming to. Well, I'm trying to get closer, but I'm still a million miles from you. And then at the end, he goes, the last thing you said before you hit the street, going to find me a janitor to sweep me off my feet. <laughs> I said, that's all right, mama, you, you do what you got to do. And it's like, Bob loves those corny jokes. He's, he <laughs> he loves telling dad jokes, and you know, in an album full of dark, deep, deep stuff, he's slipping in this material. You're like, wait, oh, okay, hold on. This maybe isn't quite as dire as as I might have imagined.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, this is my least favorite song on the album, but again, I have to qualify that it, that is not saying this is a bad song by any right, stripe, because right, right. I like this song. I love every song on this album. Um, But I listened to it again and I kind of ranked them and just by because something had to be at the bottom. This one was at the bottom. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I still I I still dig it. Um, I I don't have much more else to say. But other than it's it's a it's a fun blue song. I do like the 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 closest that he comes to kind of the chorus with this. But, uh, yeah, it's good.
1: I like when uh, Bob Dylan plays a loser in songs I love <laughs> yes. that. I, the, cause yeah. in the final verse. He says, there's voices in the night trying to be heard. I'm sitting here listening to every mind polluting word. I know plenty of people who would put me up for a day or two. Yes, I'm trying to get closer, but I'm still a million miles away. I love that sort of like pathetic, you know. I know people; they put me up for a day or two. I'm good. I, I don't even need you anymore. It's almost like I. This is bizarre, but I picture Steve Martin in the jerk when he's being thrown out. I just need this. That's all I need, and then I need this. Like that's. Bob Dylan is not a loser in life, and yet I love it when he puts on that persona. It's kind of hapless, pathetic guy, and there's a woman on a porch telling him to get out. I just love that. idea.
2: Remember that time in his career when Bob Dylan was this close to dying penniless in the street.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, and so ne- next is uh, Trying to Get to Heaven. Now, this is a big tonal change because, to me, the first four songs of this album are all nighttime songs. They feel like they take place at night. They feel like they were recorded at night. From what I read of this album, the whole thing was recorded. And Bob likes to record weird times, like 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning. There are actual... Uh, like, log sheets that are available uh, for really obsessive fans. And you can see that it's like, you know, recording session starts 11, 11.07 p.m. You're like, well, okay, well, okay. But this
0: one feels like a daytime song. This is, all of a sudden, it's brighter.
3: Hammer muddy water with the heat rising in my eyes Every day your memory goes dimmer It doesn't haunt me like it did before I've been walking
0: It's still pretty dark, but this is my
1: favorite song on the album. I love, <laughs> I love the the openness of this. I like the sort of subtle callback to "Knocking on Heaven's Door," because he's talking about uh, I've been trying, I've been walking through the middle of nowhere, trying to get to heaven before they closed the door. I was knocking on Heaven's door, now they're closing it on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this song is—it's got a lot of characters in it. There's Miss Mary Jane. You're talking about who, who, who yep. that is, but this is. I This is one of my favorite things he's ever done I absolutely love this I love the callbacks to other folk songs He talks about Midnight Ramblers He ends it with I've been to Sugartown I shook the sugar down yeah. And This is just I love this song
2: it, it is a great one I actually And again this is really high up on my list of Where this song falls on the album And I actually think there's a cover version That I like better Oh. Um, there's one by Lucinda Williams, which is Ooh, really, really good.
0: That. That sounds, that
2: sounds if you great. if you can track it down, if you can I'll, I'll give it to you. Um, but it's uh, I, I don't know. I actually once I heard her version, I was like, hmm, there might be something about this song that lends itself to a to a female singer. Hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I love it. Like yeah, the the musicality, and the, again, like when I when I put this one next to uh, Standing in the doorway, I think. I think the the melodies the the music sounds similar, but this one is just a little bit a little bit faster, a little bit more up tempo, just yep. a tweak. But I get I definitely get the day and night comparison that this one is a little bit more airier, a little bit more daytime. Um, the lyrics, yeah, Miss uh, um, Miss Mary house in Baltimore. It's So like, okay, okay, but yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I was riding in a buggy with Miss Mary
2: Jane. Once again, Bob's
1: setting his songs that seem to take place in the past, but maybe not. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, who's riding in buggies anymore? You know, what is he <laughs> talking about? Yeah, I so. think this is, I love, I just think this is, this is just, again, it's very downbeat. The lyrics are super downbeat because it's, you know, I'm going down, he mentioned going down the road feeling bad. So he's got a Grateful <laughs> Dead. He's got Grateful Dead in there. I mean, just, he mentions <laughs> the Lonesome Valley. I mean, this thing is like a, this is, this song is like, uh, like a, a folk song, uh, f- oh, what's, shoot, what am I trying to say? Like, it's, it's like the seeds of all these folk songs have been spread out, and this is what grows out of it, is this song. I just think this is, I just, it's just terrific, and it's well-placed. I think mm-hmm. you've got four songs of subterranean darkness, and then you got this thing, which is much kind of brighter and sort of, again, if you forget the lyrics, almost peppier in some way. Yeah. Next up is uh, uh, Till I Fell in Love With You, another kind of really bluesy song. This one, again, seems lighter, uh, just a little less, you know, serious. Uh, He says, "I'm junk is piling up, taking up space. My eyes feel like they're falling off my face, sweat falling down. I'm staring at the floor. I'm thinking about the girl who won't be back no more. I don't know what I'm going to do. I was all right till I fell in love with you. I mean, once again, it's heartbreak, it's sadness, but there's a more kind of Almost like a Casera type mm-hmm. it.
2: Yeah, and I love the uh, slightly self-deprecating or possibly unreliable narrator quality of that that line leading into the chorus. Till I fell in love with you, um, I did of of the again. I, I don't know why, but this is just the way my brain organizes this. The, of the even numbered songs, which to me feel more bluesy, more guitar driven, a little bit more faster. This is my favorite of those. Um, so I like this better than um dirt um uh, uh dirt, dirt roads, blues thank you uh and i like it better than million miles um yeah this is a this is a fun song I, and again i can see this on the end of an episode of true detective <laughs> it's something about the the what production that that kind of southern gothic this one also could have been in season two this one could have been the sort of industrial california
0: but <laughs>
1: I love there's a line here. He says, uh, now I feel like I'm coming to the end of my way, but I know God is my shield and he won't lead me astray, which is, you know, I love that he's sort of mocking. He's like, yeah, God's already letting me down here. Uh, you know, it's, it's a guy that has faith, <laughs> but it's not being rewarded. I know God's my shield. He won't lead me astray. Again, it's almost like Bob Dylan, hapless loser, which right. I really like. And uh, another thing here lyrically that he will refer to on other songs, he mentions boys in the street beginning to play girls like birds flying away. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of Bob Dylan as um, outside observer, where he's mm. sitting and watching other people enjoy their life or participate in their life and having fun. He mentions that in another song later on. He's he's big on that. And if you ever have ever seen any of his drawings, uh, he has a book of them called Drawn Blank, and he's done some exhibitions. There's a lot of him where he's clearly sitting outside a window and looking at people doing things, and he's just observing. And so that's that's another one of these motifs that goes throughout this album. Is it's some... He, he is, uh, you know, enjoy, watching other people enjoy their lives and feeling sort of miserable that he can't be that carefree. There's a lot of that going on here. Mm. Mm. So uh, next up is, here we go, Ryan, your favorite, Not Dark Yet. <laughs> now, if you want darkness, here, <laughs> here's your song. Because all of a sudden, we are not talking about a relationship. He puts all that away. And we are talking about a guy who is saying, yeah, I'm old. And uh, I'm not dead yet, but uh, I can see it coming. That is some rough stuff. And it's sort of amazing when you think, and we'll get to this, about how Bob was sick, pretty pretty seriously sick after this album. This feels like a guy preparing to die. And now, of course, we're talking about this album's 20 years old.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and I, I I said so much about it when, when we did our, our first episode. This is my favorite song on the album. It probably is my favorite Dylan song. Uh, it's That's the sense of bracing for finality, but wanting to look it in the eyes sort of, of, of looking at death or, or as I kind of argued, it could just be like the closing of one chapter of your life. Uh, the sort of resignation. Um, I don't know. I like it. I like my, one of my, I think my favorite line here is towards the end. It's I was born here and I'll die here against my will. Mm-hmm. I know it looks like I'm moving, but I'm standing still. Uh, I just, yeah, it's, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> we, you know, if you want more of this, go back to whatever we did, episode five. But uh, yeah, all, all my, my favorite. Is,
1: uh, all motion is relative, of course. I mean, the like idea <laughs> looks like I'm moving, but I'm standing still. Yeah, they, he has returned again to the concept of, I was born here and I'll die here against my will. The notion of, you know, I didn't ask to be put here.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and yeah, and right after that too. Like I, one of the lines that always struck me: every nerve in my body is so naked and numb. I can't even remember what I came here to get away from. yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. I love that. Like when I heard that the first time. I don't know. It just it resonated so much with me. So.
1: And it's a long song. It's about seven mm-hmm. minutes long, and yet it doesn't ever feel really that way. It has this beautiful mm-hmm. melody to it. And uh, strangely enough, they cut a video for this song. Uh, that's <laughs> bewildering. Yep. Uh, you know, what, they are going to make a single out of this. I don't know <laughs> what they were thinking. So, uh, but yeah, it's it's on, on an album full of great songs. It's one of definitely one of the great great songs. I mean, just it, it established like oh god, this guy's lost none of his skills at all.
0: <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: so next up is Cold Irons Bound, and I this is got another bluesy one. Here we go with your your Star yep. Trek theory. Uh, <laughs> and And. Uh, This reminds me, I would think of something Tom Waits could have done in the 90s. It's got that mechanical sound. like You can almost picture a band making music out of metal pipes and stuff. It just has that – this is like Bob Dylan singing in a coal mine or something like
2: that. Yeah, this would have been on like the Mule Variations or one of Tom Waits' albums. Yeah, Mule Variations.
1: That's the album I was thinking of, right.
2: And that actually – it brought to mind – like I I actually – I put this down in my notes. Like I like this song. I like the kind of driving guitar. But I would actually like to hear somebody else try this song. Like, I think I would like to hear more of a a little bit faster, like live version. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe by him, maybe by somebody else. But like a cover version, I think could, somebody could kind of elevate this song. Still good. Not complaining about this song, but it just the I was listening. I was lending I was like, it feels. Like, this song could be reinterpreted and kind of taken into a, a bigger way. Yeah, Interesting.
1: And yeah, he's done it live 423 times. So this is obviously <laughs> one that he's pretty pretty happy with. Uh, yeah, this is another one where, like, his vocal has been futzed with a lot by Lenoir. There's a lot of effects going on here. But, yeah, this is, has this incredibly oppressive sort of... Feeling to it, and uh, you know, he talks about the winds in Chicago have torn me to shreds. But there's a, it, then there's a, a verse here. Well, the fat's in the fire, and the water's in the tank, the whiskey's in the jar, and the money's in the bank. First of all, I love just the way he sings it. The way he just <laughs> the fat's in the fire, and the, in the, the whiskey's in the jar, and the money's in the bank. Like he's sort of pissy, but it's then again that idea of living the simple life. The fat's in the fire, the water's in the tank. Everything's ready to go. Everything's you know everything's the way it's supposed to be, and yet I'm still. Really upset, looking at you on 'm on my bended knee, you have no idea what you do to me i 'm twenty miles out of town, and cold irons bound and just again yeah, this is I would love to see Tom Waits tackle this. I like, would <laughs> know, uh, imagine with that roar, 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 sound, it would be totally terrifying. Really,
2: yeah. there's almost a little bit of anger in this song that reminds me of something else that we've covered on the show, which was the the song that we did from Tempest, which was um oh
1: Pay in Blood, sure Pay
2: in Blood. Thank you. I was I was like uh, I know the album, why can't I think of the song? Yeah, Pay in Blood. It kind of reminds me of that a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of he's a lot of seething anger in this. In uh, so, now the next song, big tonal change, the biggest <laughs> tonal change of the album. This is Make You Feel My Love, which is his sort of mawkish, straight ahead ballad. And uh, much like you said, with uh, uh, what you said, Dirt Road is your least favorite song, or Million Miles is your least favorite. This mm-hmm. is my least favorite. Uh, I'm still having trouble cottoning to Bob Dylan as crooner, and this <laughs> is really the beginning of that. And I don't mean to be cynical. But I will take my lead from Jim Dickinson, one of the musicians who played on this record and who gave an interview with the Bob Dylan magazine where he wondered why this song was even on the album. And someone said, well, it was covered by Garth Brooks like immediately. And he went, ah, that's why it's on there, because it was this this song has been a huge bounty for Bob in terms of covers. Billy Joel. Oh, yeah. Garth Brooks covered it. Adele covered it. And just last week at the time of this recording. A couple danced to it on So You Think You Can Dance on Fox. Right? I mean, so this song, this song really became you know like a new standard, and I think it's the kind of song most people would not have ever guessed. It was written by Bob Dylan. You know, I mean, this doesn't sound like a Bob Dylan song, but but nevertheless, here it is.
2: Yeah, and I actually in my notes, I was like, I I feel like I love this song in spite of myself. Like I I shouldn't because I knew exactly how you were gonna feel about this song. and i knew like that was my other thing i was like like this might be his one of his most covered songs other yeah. than like the ones that you remember from like the 60s I was like this one has a lot of like brian ferry from roxy music covered this one and it's it's good but like i i heard this and i was instantly i actually thought i was like this is bob dylan writing a wedding song yep. this is him writing a song that a bride and groom or a father and daughter can dance to it at a wedding and say, I really love Bob Dylan. You can't really dance to Bob Dylan. It's like, well, you could, do it. You could dance to this song at a wedding or, or some other occasion like that. So when you say that somebody did this on So You Think You Can Dance, I'm like, yep, that is exactly what I, I called. Yep.
1: Nobody's playing Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands at a wedding, so you got to play, make you feel my love. Yeah, I mean – it's interesting. This song uh, makes me think of, um, strangely enough, Every Breath You Take by The Police. Not because they sound mm-hmm. anything alike, but there are people who take that song, Every Breath You Take, as a straight-ahead love song. Right. When Sting wrote it as a song of obsession, yeah, you know, and most people that cover Make You Feel My Love sing it very straightforwardly as if it's a direct love song. But to me, there is a slightly sinister cast to it, because why do you need to make anyone feel your love? Like, you Mm -hmm. shouldn't need to make them. They should just feel it. And if you're trying to make someone love you, that's not particularly good, you know? (laughs) So, like a lot of songs, it's open to interpretation. Uh, The sound, to me, it just doesn't fit on the album. It just doesn't – to me, this one just sort of sticks out. And it's not a bad song. It's just one of the – I'm just like – and we'll get to the outtakes. Considering that there are some really wonderful outtakes – uh, on this album. I, this was the one where I was like, well, uh, okay. All right, Bob, fine.
2: Yeah, it's no, it definitely jump, stands out as being almost entirely just a piano ballad. Like yeah. uh, I don't know if there's anything else on it. Um that said, you know, as as much as like we kind of complain about like the sound of it or what it's it's for or its legacy, I still think it's a hauntingly beautiful song if you just take the lyrics. Yeah. Um and like the a lot of the covers are really really good. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's, it's, it's his wedding song or his So You Think You Can Dance song.
1: There you go, exactly. It's, uh, you know, they got to pay the bill somehow. <laughs> uh, so, uh, next up is our penultimate song, which is Can't Wait, uh, which has got a, got a weird kind of, like, snake-like rhythm to it. it there's this sort of very weirdly creepy vibe to it. I can't wait, wait for you to change your mind. I'm, it's late. I'm trying to walk the line. It's way past midnight. There are people all around, some on their way up, some on their way down. The air burns, and I'm trying to think straight, and I don't know how much longer I can wait. I feel like uh, I hear uh, uh, In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins, like this kind of <laughs> hot, hot, dark, sweaty kind of song. This is the This is the read I get on this one.
2: Yeah, it's and it's a weird follow up to what just what we just heard. Um, I do I do like the song. It's it's uh, it's again falling into that the kind of uh, even numbered trap of being uh, number ten. Um, I liken it more to uh, Cold Irons Bound and uh, Till I Fell in Love with You. And it's I actually I think it sounds a lot like Till I Fell in Love with You, but it, it does have a little bit more of that darker. Slightly edgier quality to it. So,
1: yeah, it ends on a really grim. He says, Oh, uh, while I'm strolling through the lonely graveyard of my mind, I left my life with you somewhere back there along the line. I thought somehow I would be spared this fate, but I don't know how much longer I can wait. So, and he talks about breathing hard, standing at the gate. So, there's another song of sort of impending fatality and stuff like that. So, it just has that really kind of nasty feel to it. again, it's a weird kind of song to put penultimately. But then, of course, he's not quite done yet. Uh, the final song is <laughs> Highlands, which was at the time Bob Dylan's longest song. It's something like 17 verses. He's played it live nine times. That's <laughs> it's, uh, it's gutsy uh this is a weird song that meanders from like the first third of it then there's this middle third where he goes to a diner and has this very peculiar encounter with a waitress who insists that she draw him uh she's like you're some sort of artist well draw me and then he draws her and she says that doesn't look like me she rejects his (laughs) art um and then he wanders out and goes around and it's just a guy sort of meandering through this weirdly uh, candide like uh kind of existence uh, going through and seeing all these weird things going on, and it ends on a weirdly kind of upbeat, positive note. Uh, it says, well, my heart's in the highlands at the break of day, over the hills and far away. There's a way to get there and I'll figure it out somehow, but I'm already there in my mind and that's good enough for now. And, like, that's a, you know, that's a very kind of uh, poetic way of saying fake it till you make it, kind of mm-hmm. thing. Which in, On an album which is so dark and grim and heavy, it's got kind of a nice, light end to it it's sort of remarkable
2: do you think he was going for anything particular when he said over the hills and far away yeah like... <laughs> <Gee>, i wonder <laughs> yeah um yeah it's what is it like it's 16 minutes long is that I think it's
1: like 16 it... or 17 minutes
2: yeah gosh i gotta imagine like when he plays this live that this is when people go and get their beer <laughs> like, this is, um, it's a it's fine it's it's good but it's it does i i i I don't know. I think it's a little bit too long. It's a little bit too meandering. I don't know if it's the best way to end the album. Um,
1: it's a song but- about itself. I think it's, it's partly yeah. about, it's about that he's taking you on this journey for 17 minutes. That's partly <laughs> what it's about. Like, you just can't believe this song is still going. And some of the gags in it are amazing. I mean, it's like He's talking to the waitress. Well, she says, I'm right here in front of you. Haven't you looked? I say, all right, I know, but I don't have my drawing book. She gives me a napkin. She says, you can do it on that. I said, yes, I could but I don't know where my pencil is at. Okay. I think, you know, like, all right, you know, and it's funny in that interview I mentioned with Jim Dickinson, he was asked about this, this, they said, what, what was your reaction in the studio? When, when he got to that part and he said, everybody just started laughing and he's like, that had to happen. He said, that had to have really happen to Bob. I know that you know, I didn't ask him. And then the they asked him about do you read women authors? It's just Bob being very absurdist kind of thing and it's again it's got a lot of really interesting gags in it and again he talks about looking at people he says i see people in the park forgetting their troubles and woes they're drinking and dancing wearing bright colored clothes all the young men with their young women looking so good well i trade places with any of them in a minute if i could so once again it's this this lonely guy observing people uh, who are having fun from far away it's a it's a it's a bravura way to end the album uh, and as we've seen in later albums, Bob has been getting into really long song cycles. Uh, the one other quote I can think of is this one is that apparently after he was done recording this, some Sony <laughs> Music guy came up to him and said, do you have a short version? And he said, that is the short <laughs> that version.
2: That is the short version. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.
1: Sorry. So, you know, Bob, gutsy, gutsy guy, this Bob Dylan. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's time out of mind. It's I think this album works better than a lot of his other albums as an album as a complete Mm -hmm. statement all the songs fit in their sort of assigned slots they build upon each other it's it's definitely a song which is uh, an album which is more than the sum of its parts kind of thing and that was what he was trying to do i think even the cover seems to give Mm -hmm. that impression the cover is just bob in the recording studio in this grayed out shot where things are sort of hazy he's a little more in focus and then you see the word, it says Bob Dylan time out of mind. And the word out is disjointed. It's a, it's actually yeah. lower down than the rest of the, so it's, it's Bob trying to take you back to a, a particular time, but not really one that you can put your finger at because it seems, again, it seems modern, but it also maybe older. I mean, you never know with him. And that's, I think that's what he's trying to get across. And so you really do have this whole mood that, you know, him and Landois establish. And I, it's, it's, uh, it's, it it was very different than anything really Dylan had done, even more, even different further from Oh Mercy, which he had done Mm -hmm. with with lin but it's, and people really liked it. I mean, this thing uh, made a big splash uh, when it, when it was released and it was nominated for several Grammys. As you mentioned, it beat out Radiohead. I know you're still sore about that. Um, (laughs) And it won album of the year. uh, And in the speech, he talks about uh, that. He saw Buddy Holly just a couple days before, Uh, Buddy Holly died in the plane crash and he said and he looked at me and he says I like to think we had the spirit of Buddy Holly when we were making this record and and so it's uh, you know this really kind of in some ways put Bob I don't want to say back on the map because I don't think he was ever gone but in terms of making him a popular mainstream music act this album really did that it was a big Mm -hmm. big deal in his career
2: yeah and um, like I said it's as a as a whole piece. I mean certainly I can I can look at other albums that maybe have more great songs than this one, but they also have songs I find kind of forgettable whereas this one I think of a piece from start to finish. And there might be a few little aberrations like Make You Feel My Love and Highlands, but I don't I mean it's not like putting a rap song on the album or something like that. that been. They yeah, they still Fit with the overall theme that I think he was going for with this album And I think they all mesh together pretty tightly And that's why I'll just put this one on and just play it And uh, and always enjoy myself
1: so. And as is typical with, with Bob, he seems to be able to predict the future Because right around the time that this album was released uh, There was a big health scare with Bob He came down <laughs> with histoplasmosis, which is... An infection you get where the fluid around your – the fluid in the sac around your heart starts to – I'm sorry. The sac around your heart starts to fill with fluid, which constricts the beating. And uh, it was pretty serious. It, it, mm-hmm. it, it can kill you. And luckily it didn't. But it's it's one of these things where you're like, wow, this is a whole album of songs about mortality and death. And here he is suffering this nearly fatal disease uh, i mean if you want to be cynical, you could say good marketing hook there bob <laughs> but uh i mean of course he wrote all these songs and recorded them well before he got sick but it was just the amazing timing of it that right when he releases this album which sounds like the final statement of a musician of a long career here he is getting very sick now of course he recovered thankfully uh he'd made a joke about it saying he thought i he said I, I thought i was going to be seeing elvis soon uh, but uh you know it's uh, it's kind of amazing you like he, he seems to presage what was going to happen to him and uh you know it, it it you can't help it at least i can you know hear those kind of notes when i listen back to this album that maybe there was something floating around in the ether that he seemed to pick up on that there there was some some illness coming his way or something like that i don't know
2: yeah and it it seems to have the opposite effect. Instead of closing out his his career, it kind of like you're right. Like he didn't go away, but it sort of gave it a booster shot. It did, <laughs> because after this, he, he comes out with a string of really great albums. But uh, and I I realize now <laughs> because we haven't even talked about the outtakes as much as I said this album is a great piece of itself. The album could have been better. There, that is
1: the curse of being a Bob Dylan fan, is that you get these records and you go, well, that's a masterpiece. And then you hear the unreleased songs and he said, could have been even better. That is, it's, and, you know, I do not ever want to second guess Bob Dylan because he's Bob Dylan. What the hell do I know about these things? But yes, there are at least four outtakes uh, from this record. Uh, Mississippi, which was later redone for Love and Theft. Uh, the Girl from the Red River Shore, Dreaming of You, and March into the City, all of which have been released on Telltale Signs, the mm-hmm. Blue Lake series, and Solution. I would um, – again, I feel so strange about saying this that I would go and edit a Bob Dylan album because, again, who the hell am I? But I would add these four songs in a heartbeat mm-hmm. uh, to this album and replace them with uh, – take out four songs that are on there. I think these four songs are fan. Fantastic, and the fact that he left these off is just so friggin' heartbreaking. Uh, which one do you want to start with of the four?
2: Uh, I do want to address Mississippi okay. um, because the album version that was on Love and Theft is one of my favorite Dylan songs. I love Mississippi. Um, and you reminded me of these because I hadn't heard that, and I had heard Telltale Signs when it came out, but I kind of forgot about it. Um, I think when I heard the outtake version, which is just Bob and the acoustic guitar. It's just the stripped down version. Um, I was a little, I was disappointed because it wasn't, I wanted it to feel, I wanted it to sound a little bit more like not dark yet or try or standing in the doorway or something like that. And it was just the guitar and I was like, okay, it's fine. And I kind of had to push aside my expectations and say you know just him and the guitar playing the song it's really 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 good but does it feel like like if it was on the album i think it would have had to been the last song on the album Hmm. in order for me to make it sort of fit like it belonged on there or it could have taken the place of make you feel my love because that one is kind of the tonal outlier too and i think this one just being so stripped down and bare might have worked as a replacement for that. Um, it's a great song. I, I love the lyrics. I love the sound. I do like the the album version that we got more than this this outtake version. But again, that's saying. A great Bob Dylan song, and just a really, really good Bob Dylan song. Yeah. First, how, you know, how, how thick of hairs are we splitting here?
1: Yeah, I, I remember again reading about this in the interview with Jim Dickinson, where he only could remember the refrain. He remembered the, uh, there's only one thing I did wrong, uh, stayed in Mississippi a day too long. And again, this was 1997. This is. For me, kind of basically pre-internet or just barely. And it's one of those, like, oh, no, what's that out there? What's that? I got to hear that. And said he reused it for Love and Theft, which is unusual. He generally didn't do that. Songs, uh, for the most part, that'll get left off albums just get left off forever. Case in point, Girl from the Red River Shore, which I think is one of the best things he's ever done. Yes. And he recorded it and uh, left it off. And there (laughs) it just, just collected dust. (laughs) <laughs> Until time out of mind. And again, I keep referring to this interview with Jim Dickinson, but it, it just cracks me up because you don't really get to hear too many inside portraits of what it's like to work with this guy. So he said apparently that Dylan recorded this around three in the morning. And uh, they said everyone knew as soon as it was done that it was the best thing they had done. They just were like, this was just fantastic. And to me, it has the, the kind of bright, airy sound that the Try and Get to Heaven has. It's more yeah. of a folk thing. And after it was done – Dylan apparently said, well, there's nothing else left to do with that except get in a, get in a string quartet. <laughs> and Jim Dickinson in the interview said, uh, if I had been producing this session, I would have turned around and said, Bob, my aunt, the, uh, my, they were recording this in Miami. He's like, Miami has a string quartet. We can call them. They will come down here at 3 in the morning because you're Bob Dylan. And he goes, I look in through the glass, and he goes, Lynn waz just staring off into space. And I was just like, oh, my God. Oh. So, this song, I love this. this. I don't even know where to begin with, Girl from the Red River Shore. It's got so much going on to it. It's got a guy. Who's haunted by this this girl. The, again, the, the, the titular girl from the Red River Shore. But it's got so much more going on. Some of us turn off the lights and we live. With the moonlight shooting by. Some of us scare ourselves to death in the dark. To where the angels fly. Pretty maids in a row, all in a row lined up. Outside my cabin door. I never wanted any of them wanting me. Except from the girl from the Red River Shore. Well, I sat by her side. And for a while I tried. To make that girl my wife. She gave me her best advice she said. Go home and lead a quiet life. Well, I've been to the east and I've been to the west, and I've been out where the black winds roar. Somehow, though, I never did get that far with the girl from the Red River shore. The I, I just I would I would drop three songs off of time out of mine and we could get this one on here.
2: Uh, I was gonna say that I was so glad that you told me to look at the outtakes for this album because I I'd, I'd forgotten about this one. It was on it was on Telltale Signs and I just I I didn't listen to that that much. But when I gave it another shot, I was like. Holy shit! This yeah. is a beautiful song, <laughs> so and I instantly thought of. I was like, "Oh my gosh! If I'm including this one, this one is really close—like top two or three on the album." And it like, and again, like what I was saying, like if I was putting this on the album, it would be the last song on the album. I would close out the album with this song. I think it has that kind of like beautiful quality to the end. And and if you're still doing Pod Dylan or Pop Dylan 25 episodes from now, if you're doing episode 75. Bring somebody, You could be me or it could be somebody else, but do an episode just for this song, because it really yeah. deserves it. This is absolutely yeah.
1: deserved it. I think this is just a masterpiece of a song, and it's never been uh, played live. Bob recorded <laughs> it, and it just forgot it, and there it is, and I don't, I don't get it. I mean, it's, you know, it ends with, now I heard of a guy who lived a long time ago, a man of sorrow and strife, that if someone around him died and was dead, he knew how to bring him back to life. Well, I don't know what kind of language he used, or if they do that kind of thing anymore. Sometimes I think nobody saw me here at all, except the girl from the Red River Shore. It's just this, oh, man. You know? <laughs> come, on, <laughs> come on. What are you doing over here? Uh, yeah, this, I like, sonically, I could see why you think it doesn't fit on Time Out of Mind. But I am, I've said it on previous episodes. I, you know, again, what do I know? I'm not a musician. But to me, it's like you, you pick the best songs. and that's right. The album is the best songs, not you discard... Great songs because they don't fit in your preconceived notion. I think this – and again, this album has trying to get to heaven on it. I think this would have fit in quite well. And I agree with you. I think this would have been an amazing final song. It would have been just killer to to wrap everything up with this song. Beautiful. Um, Another song is uh, Dreaming of You, uh, which uh, they actually made a video for featuring Harry Dean Stanton playing a Bob Dylan bootlegger, which isn't particularly great.
2: Which Harry Dean, Stanton should all, Harry Dean Stanton should always play the persona of Bob Dylan <laughs> in <laughs> music videos I think he is like, I, think I look at him and good. I'm like, they can be brothers They yeah. just have that grizzled look about them I but... think if you took
1: Bob Dylan's essence and, and boiled it down <laughs> it, would, it would just look like Harry Dean Stanton, I think pretty much but, uh, I, I think this is great, it's got a beautiful beat to it uh, The light in this place is really bad, like being at the bottom of a stream Any minute now, I'm expecting to wake up from a dream Means so much, the softest touch by the grave of some child, yikes, who never wept or smiled. I pondered my faith in the rain. I've been dreaming of you, that's all I do, and it's driving me insane. And later on, he gets to, he mentions that when I eat when I'm hungry, drink when I'm dry, live my yeah. life on the square. So he's reusing these words for other songs. Um, but there is a passage here. That I thought was really very interesting given what Bob has said in an interview. He mentions for years they had me locked in a cage, then they threw me onto the stage. Some things just last longer than you thought they would, and they never ever explain. I've been dreaming of you, that's all I do, and it's driving me insane. I saw an interview with him around the time of this album where he was asked about why he was sort of in the wilderness for so long. He was doing you know, he, he's doing all these concerts and he plays concerts and you know, these remote places and he's recording folk cover albums. He did that to kind of get out of the public spotlight. And he said in the interview, once you're out of the spotlight, they can never get you back. And I don't exactly know what that means, but it it felt like, I guess, that it freed him up from expectations.
0: Hmm. So the,
1: the Bob Dylan that returned to sort of the public square could do whatever he wants anymore. He's not limited to being the, the rolling stone guy or the blown in the wind guy. And that verse about had me for years. They had me locked in a cage. Then they threw me onto the stage. Well, that sounds like someone who's, you know, sick of being, having to deliver a preconceived notion. Mm -hmm. So that, that verse always jumps right out of me. I think this is a terrific song. And again, I would have put it on the album.
2: Yeah, I guess the sort of like freedom of being yesterday's news of being yeah. like a has been or past your prime or something. Like yeah. nobody, yeah, but not not having those same expectations. It's great. Yeah. I do like I do like the the repetition of the lyric from standing in the doorway. And gosh, I wonder if like which one he wrote first, or if he just had that that like set of lines that that kind of uh, that motif in his head, and just was experimenting with different songs. Hey, this this verse will work right here. And then it just came down to picking and choosing which song is going to make the album or something. That I'd like to, I'd be curious to know a little bit more about that story, about how that line ended up in both songs.
1: This will be my last uh, quote from the Jim Dickinson interview where he talks about that uh, Dylan had all of these lyrics in a book. And he said, I got a chance to look at it. And he said, it's all in pencil with lines crossed out and stuff written in and the margins and stuff jumped in and, and like literally almost like a cut and paste job. And he said – I look at that and he said, anyone who thinks Bob Dylan's work is like chance art or it all just pops into his head fully formed, he's like, just does not get it. He said, this guy works really hard. and so He <laughs> works figuring out where to put this particular set of lines. You know, like this. Maybe it'll fit here. Oh, maybe it fits over there. Uh, so, And then another example of that is the final outtake, which is March into the City, which sounds like a kind of a church revival song. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of funny. The, there's a guitar sound which makes uh, it sounds like there's like backup singers or there isn't because there's a part where you hear like a kind of sound <laughs> in the back and it sounds like a, a like a like one of the queens of rhythm uh, that that had <laughs> warming up but it's not it's just a guitar sound and it's this song presumably was dropped for till i fell in love with you because lyrically there's a lot of similarities there's a, a similar sound to it but i really like march into the city i think it's terrific this counter refrain of uh, marching into the city and the day ain't long i think this is Again, another terrific song that I wish could have made
2: it made it on there. Me too. Yeah, it's and it it I didn't even think about it until you mentioned, but it did remind me a lot of "Till I Fell in Love with You," and I can hear the similarities now. Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: I think it's yeah, it's so. just really great. Again, it's another one that's you know doesn't exist anywhere. It's never been done live. You just did it in the in the, in the studio, and so you know it's, it's as as great as "Time Out of Mind" is, and I think it's a great album. I think it's a, one of one of his finest achievements. He could could have been a little
2: better. You know, <laughs> I know that's, and I, I was saying that this might be my favorite Dylan album ever, and I still think the four outtakes we just described are better than the four weakest yeah. songs on the album. Crazy. So, Crazy. what it could have been, yeah. My
1: my, uh, my iTunes playlists are full of Bob Dylan albums with Mach 2 written next to them. <laughs> so then I make my own versions. Where I stick nice, them your custom something. version. Yeah, my custom versions, amazing. So, Now, Bob was very happy with this album when it came out. Of course he was. It, it was very well received. It sold well. Elvis Costello said it, it's the best thing he's ever done which is, you know, that's a high praise coming from Elvis Costello. Uh, and uh, you know, we, or really should play- we say
2: Declan McManus?
1: Declan McManus, international art thief, Dylan Declan McManus. <laughs> and uh, and uh, this is terrific now, but only in retrospect, Bob has come to kind of look a little more askance at it. He said that he had an overall dissatisfaction with the sound. He's never worked with Lanois. Again, uh, all of his albums since then have been self-produced or produced by, quote-unquote, Jack Frost. But him and Lenoir are still friends because apparently for his last album, uh, The Triplicate, he went over to Lenoir's house and played a bunch of the songs. So they're still buddies. It's not like it's any sort of bad blood between them. It's just... Bob, uh, I, think, I don't think Bob wants to be too heavily produced. He just mm-hmm. doesn't want that. And so he may be happy with it at the time, but then in retrospect, he's a little, you know, circumspect about, oh, maybe that's not what I wanted. But clearly he's happy with the songs because he still plays a lot of them in concert. Like, it, it's it's a, it's an album that he returns to constantly. So it's, you know, everyone recognizes that it's, it's, it's one of the big achievements of, a, in a career full of achievements, it's one of the
2: bigger ones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I do think out. it's like, yeah, and it gave him that that second life or third life. <laughs> I mean, that depends yeah, yeah, on yeah, how you on break nine, up the chapters nine of his life.
1: At this point. I mean,
2: yeah, really, but, and on and on, so. but, but, but so, yeah, I mean, it it made me a fan. It made me a Dylan fan for life. So if if nothing else, that that little victory, I think, uh, means a whole lot. So yeah. yeah,
1: he he has said in interviews that he felt when he saw younger people coming to his concerts that he was sort of like, younger people need new songs. Mm -hmm. need their own set of songs and this was this was really the first all original dylan album i ever bought once i had become a complete and utter convert i I was a fan when i bought under the red sky but i was just getting into it but i but but between that album and this album i had become full i'm like okay i'm 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 on board for life with this guy so this was really the first statement you know of original songs that he made and i was like holy geez this is just and I, I listened to this album all the way through for years and years and years and now it's part of all my big mix but uh it's it's just an amazing accomplishment uh, and and what he can do when he's focused you know when he really wants to apply himself it's uh it's it's just remarkable and I'm, i i love listening to it and i i uh i don't know i really enjoyed sitting here going through it with you ryan i really appreciate you coming on to, to talk about this this was a lot of fun
2: I was happy to do it, and happy anniversary to the album. So,
1: yeah, yeah. time out at twenty years old. Again, this, it felt like this was going to be the, maybe the last album, and then there, there's been seven more since then. So I
0: mean, just
1: you know, you never know. Every everybody keeps wanting to write his epitaph. They Keep saying "Tempest." That's going to be the last one because that's Shakespeare's <laughs> last play. That's what. That's the code, and then he does three more albums after that. So. <laughs> including a, a triple album. So, you know, you, you can never figure out with this guy. So uh, so anyway, happy anniversary to Time Out of Mind. I hope everybody enjoyed, uh, you know, changing up the format a little and going through a whole album at a time. And again, like I said, we, we're going to do you know, other songs. We will do a whole episode on "Girl from the Red River Shore." That that <laughs> that, is, that begs deep examination. So, uh, before we wrap up here, where can people find your shows on the network, Ryan?
2: Uh, well, you just look for them on the network. Uh, several podcasts: Batman Nightcast, Give Me Those Star Wars, Power Fish Nets, and Midnight the Podcasting Hour. The release schedule for each of these shows is a little bit infrequent now, uh, just because of the uh, recent addition to my family and some of the stuff that is going along with that. So recent, <laughs> recent, yeah, ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that was intentional. <laughs> sure. Wordplay. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm I'm trying to still be an active podcaster and get those out with some regularity. Um, it's but they're. They'll they'll get up. (laughs) We'll work on it. And I have big, lofty plans for next year. Thanks in no small part to you forcing my hand. (laughs) Damn, cheers, podcast.
1: I love it. I love it. I can't wait. So, uh, anyway, thanks. Thank you again once again, Ryan. It's always fun to talk to you, and I'm glad we were able to do this. This was a lot of fun. Thanks so, for having me here. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Go listen to Time Out of Mind. It's a great record. And uh, you can, of course, you know, back episodes of the show are on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com and we can talk Bob Dylan over on Twitter, which is at pod underscore Dylan. So, uh, until the next episode, everybody, uh, thanks so much for all the wonderful feedback. I can't believe we're at 50 episodes. I look forward to doing even more. So uh, we will see everybody later. Bye.
3: And the album of the year
0: is... Time Out of Mind.
3: I got to mention them on Columbia Records, uh, Tommy Matona, Donny Einer. Donny Einer heard these songs way back when and convinced me to put it out. Uh, although his favorite songs aren't on it, but he put it out anyway. Larry Jenkins has been down in the trenches all the way from Italy to England and back again. Uh, Daniel Lenoir, who helped produce this, and Mark Howard, can't forget that. We got a, a particular type of sound on this record, What You Don't Get Every Day everybody worked extra special hard even the musicians augie myers from san antonio uh, jim dickinson my brother from um, down in mississippi and cindy cash dollar bucky baxter Tony Garnier, tim keltner uh just every old buddy uh, david kemp everybody worked really hard on this and uh we didn't know what we had when we did it but but uh we did it anyway and I just wanted to say that one time when I was about 16 or 17 years old, I went to see Buddy Holly play at the uh, no, no, Duluth National Guard Armory, and I was, I was three feet away from him, and he looked at me. And uh, I just have some kind of feeling that he was—I uh, don't know how or why—but I know he was with us all the time we were making this record in some kind of way. Um, in a In the words of, you know, the immortal Robert Johnson, the stuff we got'll bust your brains out, and uh, we tried to get that across. And this man right here, he was sort of instrumental in helping that out. I'm gonna let him say a few words, Daniel Lanois. (laughs) Thanks, Bob. When Bob read me the lyrics to this record, we were in a hotel room here in New York City, and the words. Were, we're hard, we're deep, we're desperate, we're strong. And they came from uh, having lived a number of lives, which I believe Bob has. So that's the record I wanted to make. Um, and then we need to thank uh, Jeff Rosen for being in the trenches for a long time. Jeff Kramer for 10 years. Melly Ciccone for being in my trench. Mark Howard, you get a piece of this. Thank you.